Good afternoon, Storehouse. Uh, will you please remain standing for the reading of God's word? Today will be in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, and it reads, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace help in time of need. The word of God for the people of God. Well, Storehouse family, I hope that you are doing well. This week you are visited by our second guest preacher. Some of you may know him, many of you do not. His name is Robert Bernal. He is a dear brother to me, a wonderful friend to many. And let me tell you a little bit about this young man just so that you know a little more about him before he comes up and preaches. Rob has been in our preaching lab over the last year. He serves at the Well Community Church in San Antonio, one of our sister churches, dear friends of ours who minister in San Antonio. And so Rob has been with us in our preaching lab over the last year. At one of our members meetings, I told you that when it comes to developing preachers, you have invested everything from time and generosity in allowing me to develop up and coming preachers. Rob is one of them. He is a Valley native, uh, though unfortunately for now he lives in San Antonio, but he is a Valley native. He loves Jesus. He loves to proclaim God's word, loves his family. And I hope that you are blessed by our friend, Robert Bernal. I got, I got, I got a little too excited there. <laughs> Well, good afternoon, Storehouse. It is a joy to be with y'all today. Um, Storehouse was really foundational to my life uh, when I first feel like I came to, came to the Lord. It's where I got baptized. Uh, it's where I've been uh, just formed and loved by many of you. Some of you may know me. Some of you may have not uh, known me. Um, but Marco and I hang out a lot. He's one of my best friends. And every time we hang out, it is, it is always good news that comes from, from this church. The gospel-centered living, uh, discipleship, and just all that Christ is doing here. So from San Antonio, we love you guys, uh, and it's, it's good to be with you. So today I've been given the opportunity to preach on a topic um, that is, to me, one of my most favorite in all the Bible, and that is the priesthood of the Lord Jesus, or as today's sermon is titled, if you're taking notes, it is the Son who is our priest. To me, it encapsulates two parts of the work of Christ, namely his atoning sacrifice on the cross and his intercession for his people. And so the atonement of, of, of Christ is his sacrifice on the cross that reconciles us or brings us back into a right relationship with God. There at the cross, our sins are paid for. Now, his intercessory work, though, it means that Christ prays for you. He prays on your behalf. And your hope, he is your hope before coming to God. And so what I need for us to see today is the fact that our understanding of Christ's role as our great high priest should shape our worship of and devotion to Jesus. I'll say that again. We need to see today that our understanding of Christ's role as our great high priest should shape our worship of 
and devotion to Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. We're going to read it just once more. Uh, but my, in my opinion, it's the most beautiful and life-changing uh, text in all the Bible, or in specifically today in Hebrews. But let's read it. It says, um, if I can turn to the right one. It says, uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize us, sympathize with us, or we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So before we get in, let's pray and ask God for his help. Lord, we, we thank you for this church. We thank you for um, all the people that are here, Father. I thank you that you've brought us together to know who you are, know what you've done for us, know why we celebrate Advent, know who it is that Jesus is, Father. And we just thank you that, um, that you have given us this time to worship you. Would you open our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears and our minds to see, Lord, what you have for us. So be with us, Father. And by your spirit, would you empower us to go home today and live our lives for Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look today at the Lord Jesus' role as our high priest, I really want us to reflect on uh, the series on Malachi that Pastor Marco had um, just a couple weeks ago. Be, and I want us to be mindful as we go through these verses together of just how much greater Jesus is compared to the priests of old. The role of the priests in, in the Old Covenant was foundational to the relationship between God and Israel. But now in the New Covenant, Christ's work for us as our high priest is our foundation to the relationship, to our relationship with God. And his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead for your sins and for mine were what the Old Testament priests were ignorantly pointing to all along. These men were, were chosen by God, but they were types and shadows of a high priest who is to come and intercede for his people forever. And today, if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that's you. You are the one he died for and the one who stands in the gap for. He is the reason we can come to God with open hands and place all our cares and our burdens on. So if you're taking notes today, we're going to have three pretty simple points, but effective ones. Number one is going to be the work of Christ, our high priest, which would be in verse 14. The second one would be the humanity of Christ, which would be verse 15. And 16 would be the love of Christ, our high priest. But before we get into today, I do want to provide some context for this letter to the Hebrews. For those of you who don't know, Hebrews was most likely a sermon from the Apostle Paul to Jewish converts that were being oppressed. Uh, they were being persecuted for their faith. They were being tempted to go back to the old ways of the old covenant. <clears throat> and as you read through Hebrews, which I hope you will a lot, <laughs> you'll notice a few things within the sermon. 
You'll notice number one is there's a huge emphasis on the listener to stay steadfast in the faith no matter what they face. Number two is you'll see an incredible understanding of the Old Testament from the author. And number three, which is most important, you'll see the most reverent and grand display of the supremacy and the superiority of Jesus Christ. You will see just how, him, how Jesus himself is the center of the book of Hebrews. The whole Bible, but specifically today, the book of Hebrews. So why are these pieces of context important? Well, a little, a little, because a little understanding of the culture and context for this letter will help shape our faith and our love for Christ, as you'll see as we move on today. So to give some, some, to give some context, the audience intended, like I said, they were Jewish Christians being persecuted. They were, they were being swayed to come back to the old ways. And it was as if at every turn they made, someone was telling them that Jesus wasn't enough. And they were being tempted to renounce the faith. Have you ever been there, Christian? When you feel like you can't get away from the doubts and the temptations to doubt the faith. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. So basically, to counteract these doubts, the pastor is saying, guys, look at Christ, your sacrifice. Don't go back. Don't go back to the old ways. Remember those guys in Malachi who struggled with their faith and God said that he basically wanted to put dung on their faces? Yeah, Christ is not like that. Christ is much better. But, but many of us today are similar to these Jewish converts in the sense that we often feel like we have to come to God saying, look God, look what I've done with my good works. And we feel like that we have to come to God with a conscience that is clean based on what we've done. Now, am I saying that we shouldn't do good works? No, but what I am saying is that our standing before God is not on the basis of those works, but on the work of Christ, our sacrifice and high priest. That's what makes him better. And as we'll see in verse 14, the great high priest who was the fulfillment of the old, of the old guys isn't just another man but he is actually the prophesied son of God, the Messiah, the one that we celebrate today. To these listeners, the pastor was laboring, them, laboring to get them to see that the Old, the Old Testament priests could not do what Jesus did because he was truly the perfect son of God, who literally they, had, they were reading about, they were hearing about as, as they grew up in the Old Testament. And his, his point in it all was to show struggling Christians that their standing before God was not based on who they were and what they did, but who Jesus was and what he did. So Christian, as we, as we dive in today, ask yourself, how do I approach God in my time with him? 
Do I see me trying to stand in the place of Jesus? Or do I trust in the fact that he's done it all for me? So, let's unpack what the pastor has for us here in these three verses. So looking at verse 14, right, he says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So here we find our first point, the work of Christ, our high priest. So the pastor starts off this verse ensuring the listeners that they have a great high priest, and that is crucial because of their context and culture. Mind you, church, these, the audience was a people who knew their Old Testament probably better than we did, better than most of us do, yet they were apathetic and they were fearful of turning away from tradition and turning to Christ. And this is why the book of Hebrews is so filled with exhortation and encouragement to see Christ, to confess Christ, to know Christ, which is the same encouragement and exhortation that that we have today. So what work exactly has Christ done for us and what does that mean for us? He became not just any priest, but the great high priest, as the author says, and given that we have a solid understanding of the Old Testament priesthood based on the Malachi series, I won't, I won't belabor the, the, the work so much of the Old Testament priests as much, as much as I will the work of Christ now as our high priest. The significance of Jesus being our great high priest is the fact that there isn't another priest mentioned in the Bible who was both high and both great, which I think is a really cool fact. And let me explain that a little more. In the Old Testament, there were priests like we saw in Malachi. High priests like you see in Leviticus 16. But the title great high priest was reserved for only one man, according to the author of Hebrews. According to Christian theologians, the adjective great was used to show the superiority and supremacy of Christ over the Old Testament priesthood. So get this, right? The author uses the adjective great in the face of Jewish converts who had never heard that term before to get their attention just to see how much better Jesus is. Thus encouraging a people who were struggling and doubting their faith. What the audience was used to were hypocritical and apathetic priests, much like the ones that we see in Malachi. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. That doesn't look very good for the viejos of the Old Testament, right? The priests of old were unable to be truly holy and truly, unfa- and truly faithful to God and his people. Their, sinful, their sinful nature held them from fulfilling that role as God intended. So now we contrast that with Christ hundreds of years later as the great high priest, which begs the, the question, well, why is Jesus better? What makes him better? What makes him greater? Well, to answer that question, I think we need to understand what the, what the high priest did and why he did it. 
And in Leviticus 16, I won't have it here, but you can go read about it later. It gives us one of the greatest pictures in all the Bible of the high priestly duties. And he was in charge of two really big things. Number one, being he offered sacrifices for his sins and the sins of Israel in the holiest of holies where God dwelt among Israel. And number two was to intercede or mediate on behalf of those people. The priests literally wore garments set apart for one day a year. And on those garments were the inscriptions of the 12 tribes of Israel representing the people he was mediating for. This was the day of atonement and it came only once a year. Now in understanding his role in coming to the presence of God where he could have very well died, we see Jesus who doesn't just come to the presence of God once a year but he dwells there forever for you. And as the pastor says in verse 14 that he passed through the heavens, it's just a really cool way of saying that he ascended into heaven or was lifted up into heaven. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 and 13. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And in verse 13 he says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So since Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, I think there are two really, really important implications for that reality. Number one is that his work is finished and your sins are completely forgiven for those who are in Christ. And number two is that his mediation for you is perfect as he himself sits at the right hand of God the Father. The priests of old could only enter into the presence of God once a year. And with that, they most likely had to tie bells to their garments so people could make sure that those guys were still moving around in there and didn't die in the very presence of God. And I think according to some theologians, it was believed that the, priests, that the other priests would actually tie a rope to their ankles so that if they did die, they could just pull them out without, without themselves dying. But here, Christian, here is where we see Christ. Here is where we see the big difference. We see your high priest. We see your Savior who doesn't just come once a year, but is literally and eternally dwelling with the Father in his presence. Look at what the author says in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 to 20. <clears throat> Let me pull that up. He says, We have this as a sure, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. For Jesus is gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Christian, know this. Our works do not dictate 
whether or not Jesus stands in our place for us. He is your anchor in God's presence because of his great love for you. And this, this perfect and eternal priesthood that Christ holds was specifically, as the author says, held for the Son of God, the Messiah. All the labor and toil of the old priesthood was to point to one greater than themselves, and that is Jesus. Here he gives us the command to hold fast to the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. He tells us, hey, remember the Messiah that was foretold to come and save Israel from their sins? Well, here he is. Hold fast to him. Don't let go. Don't be swayed. Don't go back to the old ways. Those sacrifices aren't enough for your sins. What he does here is he reassures the listeners and ourselves that their ability to hold fast to their confession depends upon their understanding or their faith in that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and our great high priest. This is literally the whole point. If you go back and read Hebrews chapters 1 to 3, that's the whole point of it all. We already read verse 3 in that first chapter, but the whole first chapter of Hebrews proclaims that Jesus is the Son of God. He is God himself. And that sets the foundation for the whole rest of the book. The priesthood of all was to point the people to the beauty and character of God. But here we see that the Son of God is actually the one who is the radiance of the glory of God. Christian, when we look to Christ, we just don't see another man. We see God himself. Consider Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his book on the priesthood of Christ. He says, The eternal Son of God in this amazing and mysterious manner was born of a virgin in order that you and I might be saved, that you and I might become the children of God. We must lay hold of the amazing thought that he came out of eternity into that. He had to take upon himself flesh and blood to become a partaker of it. We have to start with the high and exalted and astounding truth that the eternal Son of God humbled himself and that the baby of Bethlehem was God incarnate, the Word made flesh. The source of this mystery, that the Messiah was to be truly human and truly God, starts in the Old Testament, and in verses 8 to 12 in the first chapter, the author of Hebrews, Hebrews alludes to that. He says in verse 8, he says, But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And he says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years have no end. 
The pastor makes it clear. These verses he quotes from the Old Testament are referencing God, yet at the same time used to describe the Son. This idea is his bedrock for his argument that Jesus, the Son of God, is the better and greater high priest. And finally, he closes out the verse with an encouragement to hold fast our confession that Jesus is the Son of God. And what he means here is that because of these truths about Jesus, there is no need for us to be timid about who he is and what he's done for us. And what's cool is that the Greek word for confession here, it can actually be defined and used not just as holding to a belief within yourself, but an actual public profession of faith. So let me ask you, Christian, how confidently do you hold these truths? Do we profess Christ once a week or do we cling to him every single day and not let go? Because here's the thing, guys. The same doubts and struggles spoken of here in Hebrews are the same situations that we face today. Maybe not the same exact problems, but the effects of our doubts and struggles can easily lead us to a place of apathy. And don't tell me that you have everything together in your life, okay? None of us do. We think we come to church and everything's okay, but deep down inside, we have our struggles. We struggle to see the good in the mess of our lives. We struggle to see so many things that God's done for us. But here's the thing, is that within the midst of our struggles, the call for us here is not to do more things. It's not to go on the side of the street and go evangelize or go to the the food shelter or go to the homeless shelter, just do a whole bunch of extra things. No, the encouragement here is that we actually take a step back and we slow down. I know it's a busy season, but we need to slow down and take in all that Christ has done for you. And maybe that looks like talking to your spouse about something God has done for you recently, or taking just a few extra minutes in the, in the morning to actively remember God's goodness. But the heart of it all is that we hold fast to the faith which God has given us, faith in Jesus, and profess that not only to others, but to our very souls. So, what work has Jesus done? He's passed through the heavens at his ascension. He sits at the Father's right hand and remains there now for you, Christian. But on what grounds has he accomplished this work? On the grounds that he is the prophesied Son of God, the one that we celebrate this Advent season. Christian, the work of Christ is not something we earn for ourselves but something that we embrace and hold fast to so that when we come to God, we come with confidence. Now, verse 15, he says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The pastor now brings us to the point of Jesus' human nature. 
We just talked about his divinity, but now the second tier of what makes Jesus better is the fact that he lived this human life just like all of us, which is important for a couple reasons. Number one is that his divinity means that we can come to God with confidence because his sacrifice for us is perfect. And number two, his humanity means that he can actually sympathize with us in our weaknesses and our temptations, yet at the same time showing us grace because he himself is without sin. Jump quickly to or or look on the screen at Malachi chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. I don't know if I have in my... Did I send that on the notes? I think I did. I'll have to jump here. Bear with me. Chapter 2, verse 7 and 9. says, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your instruction. These verses give us some insight into the fact that the old priest couldn't overcome temptation. They couldn't fully sympathize with the people of God because they fell into sin. So tell me, how exactly is their priesthood better than Jesus? Christian, know this. The one who has died for your sins can help you overcome them because he himself is without sin. He knows what it means to be human. In fact, I'd argue that he is more human than us in the sense, in the way that God originally intended it. Let me explain. God created Adam without sin, yet he fell into temptation and sinned. But Christ lived this life being tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. Don't forget the fact that he was tempted by Satan, yet didn't give in. Remember how Satan tempted Christ in Matthew chapter 4, yet Jesus remained faithful to God and didn't give in? Or remember when he was being beaten and mocked and remained silent because he knew his mission wasn't finished? Or when he was given a chance to defend himself before Pilate, he didn't give in to pride and go off on how he was the king of the universe? He isn't detached from us, but literally can deal with anything you are going through because he's been there and he's done that. Let me explain really quick what the word sympathize here means. We normally define it as being able to like emotionally relate or connect to someone, which, which has truth, it's true. But the term sympathize here can go beyond that. It can go deeper than that in definition. The context takes it to a place where we can define it as experientially having compassion towards someone. Experientially having compassion. 
So Christ can have compassion or sympathy towards you for whatever you're dealing with because he's lived it, yet he did so perfectly. Let that sink in for just a second. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through right now, Christian. Whatever you walked in with today, he's experienced it or has overcome the temptation of it. And what makes him greater is the fact that he did it all without sin. Look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who, was, who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the, the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christian, what is it that you struggle with? What did you bring in here that you feel like Christ doesn't understand about you? Have you lost someone you loved? Jesus lost many of his friends. Feeling shame for your faith? Jesus was insulted and shamed more than anyone else. Are you stressed with work or your workload? Consider the cross and the work that he bore there. Here's the thing. If you think that because of your sins, Christ doesn't love you, then I think you've missed the whole point of the gospel. If you think that Christ isn't good enough, or incapable of forgiving you or unable to grant you strength and help to overcome your struggles, then you actually misunderstand the gospel and we belittle the work of Jesus. His humanity is the gateway to sympathy because though we are weak and fall into temptation and sin, Jesus never did. Because of that, he understands you in every way and can help you overcome all of your burdens. Richard Belcher says it this way in his book, Prophet, Priest, and King. He says, the work of Christ as priest ensures that his people can come, will come actually through every trial. The benefits include forgiveness of sin, the cleansing of the conscience, peace with God, assurance of salvation, and the gift of eternal life. Believers are also perfected by being set apart to, to live a life of holiness, which will result in the completion of their perfection when Christ comes again. You see, guys, what's so important here is that the one who created you, the one who gave you skin and bones, a beat in your heart and the breath in your lungs, he is the one who took on those same things to live in your place sinlessly because for us, we could not do that. We could fully never please God in our flesh. 
Y no me digas que tú estás perfecto sin pecados. Come on, guys. If we were sinless, we wouldn't need a savior, right? Christian Christ understands you. He knows you. He can sympathize with you because not only did he create you, but he lived perfectly and sinlessly for you. Finally, as we end today and we come to our last point, we come to the love of Christ, our high priest. We've seen that the work he's accomplished in being a perfect sacrifice for you and standing in God's presence for you. We've seen that his humanity allows him to sympathize with us and understand us. Finally, we'll see what all of that just actually means for us. We'll answer the question, what does this mean for me and why does it actually matter? So in verse 16, he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The pastor here summarizes his whole point with the visualization of being able to draw near the throne of God. The very throne where Jesus is. He tells us to come confidently as well. Because he's just laid out for us in verses 14 to 15 the grounds for that very confidence. He implores us to come with confidence all because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us as our great high priest. Solely on the basis of Christ's perfect work as our priest can we come to God and be expectant to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. And I think it's perfect that the pastor uses the word mercy here because it reminds us of the mercy seat in the holiest of holies. The high priest going in only once a year, sprinkling the blood of the sacrifice on the mercy seat, quickly getting in and getting out, hoping he wouldn't die. The mercy seat was the place where after sacrificing the animal, the priest would then go and sprinkle that blood on that seat symbolizing God's mercy covering the sins of Israel. Now for some of you, you may have heard that word mercy if you've been growing up as a Christian. You may have heard it many times. But I like to define what it actually means. Mercy means instead of getting what we do deserve, in the case of the Israelites, it was God's wrath for their sins, they received forgiveness. They did so by the sacrifice made on their behalf. So in short, mercy is not getting or receiving what we do deserve. And here in verse 16, we see that we can receive that mercy at the throne of grace. Our sacrifice has been made, and it wasn't that of bulls or of goats, but that of the perfect son of God. And for that reason, Christian, you can come receive that mercy and grace at that throne. There's no hesitation. In fact, it's necessary that we come to God's throne. True faith in Christ results in us realizing that we need mercy and grace every single day. 
And here we see that it's freely dispensed at God's throne. He bids you to come out of the love that he has for you. And we don't just come once a year to the presence of God, but we can come as often as we want because of the one who stands for us in the very presence of God. Christian, what are your needs today? And how is it that Christ can help you? Because let me tell you, he wants to. I think this text gives us much assurance that Jesus isn't some detached guy who doesn't know you or care for you. No, he is willing to help anyone and everyone in their greatest time of need. The role of Christ, our high priest, is so important for our lives because if you have placed your faith in Jesus, the Son of God, then you can stand before a holy God. So what does that mean for us? That means for you that your sins are forgiven and your relationship with God is now reconciled. We now have access to God because of one man. Our access isn't dependent on our works or our righteousness. They are solely based on Christ alone. And we oftentimes think that when we sin, we can't come to God. But it's the complete opposite. When we've sinned against God, that is our greatest time of need, as the pastor says here. Yet that's when we feel the most uninvited to the throne, isn't it? When in reality, the lowest point of our lives, the times when we feel we have no hope, that God doesn't want us, or when our mental health is struggling, those are the times in our lives that he calls us to come. Why? Because he can sympathize with you. But our struggle is that if we can't come in our own holiness, then we can't come at all. Let me tell you guys, that is the greatest lie that you can believe. Christian, if we don't get this part of the text, then we miss the whole point of the letter. Jesus made the way for us because of his great love for us. He didn't have to do this. Yet he humbled himself, left heaven to be made in flesh and blood like you and I, so that we could know and love God. And here's the thing, if you are in Christ, he faithfully and perfectly intercedes for you and your access to the throne of grace is unhindered. Do you remember briefly when we spoke about the old high priests and their garments that had the tribes of Israel on? It, those were the people who, who, who the Old Testament priests would intercede for. Well, consider this. At the throne of grace, your name is written on Christ's heart. And all of his righteousness is given to you. Your name is written on him, and his robes of righteousness are placed on you. The old hymn before the before the throne of God, says it this way. 
It says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. His name is graven on his hands. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. My question to you is simple today. Would you come to this throne? Maybe you haven't come to God in prayer in quite some time. Or maybe you knew, or maybe you never knew, that Christ's work is fully complete. Or maybe you were afraid of God because of the sins you've committed. Christian, all of those problems are resolved by this high priest, the Son of God. This is why we can come with confidence to the throne of grace. And if this is your first time in the church, praise God. I'm glad you are here. And I want, you to, I want to be honest with you. This Jesus who you've heard about bids you to come to his throne as well. He desires to grant you mercy and grace, but also the forgiveness of your sins where you can now have peace with God. Because as it is, outside of Christ, we are all enemies of God and dead in our sins. And the call to this good news that you've heard today is to turn away from your sins and turn to Christ. He is the only way you can be forgiven and have a right and restored relationship with God. As we close, let's consider one last text for today, and it's Hebrews chapter 19, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 23. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true and full heart in assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace and mercy you show us every single day. You have made the way for us to have a relationship with you through your son, our great high priest. Today, today Lord, all of us today come with so many things. Whether we're burdened with stress from the day to day or dealing with the loss of a loved one, or doubting our faith and your goodness. And for those who don't know you, I pray that you would call them by name, 
by your will and grace through Christ. Would you, would you meet us, Lord, where we are and bless us with your grace.